COVID infections average nearly 100 a day. We need to take a step back from some of the social interactions that we have had this summer. Dr. Henry's warning about our behavior this fall. Backlash over a new back-to-school ad. The rules that we're putting in place are to help keep you safe at school. Why some accuse the province of a double standard. And recognize the bassist on the left. The famous musician who surprised a local band. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll get to those stories in a moment, but first, counter protesters in a heated exchange with a Toronto anti gay preacher trying to spread his message in Vancouver. One of his disciples is accused of assaulting a man in the West End earlier this month. Catherine Urquhart is live in Vancouver with more on David Lynn's visit and a lot of drama, Catherine, that you witnessed firsthand. That's right, Sophie and Chris. It was a very ugly, very heated scene here. Just about an hour ago, Toronto preacher David Lynn was here. He's very well known for being anti-LGBTQ. Also here, remembers of that community. It got to pushing and shoving and yelling, and then police arrived. Here's a look. Are you serious, officer? We're not going to arrest the man. Are you going to arrest him? They didn't do anything. No one did anything. Nothing. There's multiple witnesses. Who's the leader here? It's all on live stream. It doesn't matter. I've been assaulted. I've been telling you well, Lynn was challenged by a number of people here, including a young woman who called him out for his hate speech. I use they, them pronouns. Good for you. I am your sister and brother in Christ. That's good for you. You are my brother in Christ. Good for you. I am calling you out. Okay. For speaking hatred against God's people. What did I say today that was hateful? Please tell me one thing because all on live stream and global news is right here. Tell me one thing I said is hateful. I want, may I pray for you? No, you can't. But tell me one thing I said that was hateful. You hey, said that we were a bunch we're of mass young, mass. misguided youth that had chosen a sexuality or a gender identity and that we were going to burn in hell because of our choices. I didn't say that. I said, the one thing I did say, all those, uh, many of those people were young and misguided. That's what I did say. Because they're chasing me out of his... Now, Lynn's fellow preacher, Dory Love, was recently involved in an altercation. One that resulted in sportscaster Justin Morissette having very serious injuries, including a broken leg. This after Morissette challenged the preacher's hateful message. Now... As for David Lynn, he has events planned for later tonight. They are planned for Gastown as well as at Sunset Beach. Members of the gay community say they will be there as well. So there could be more confrontations later tonight. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right, we'll be keeping an eye on that. Thanks for that, Catherine Urquhart in Vancouver. And now a warning to all of us tonight from the provincial health officer as we see some of the highest COVID-19 numbers since the pandemic began. 
Health officials sharing data from the past three days. We have 294 confirmed new infections, 86 Friday to Saturday, 107 Saturday to Sunday, and 101 Sunday through this morning. That brings our total to 5,790. Sadly, we've lost four more people, which means 208 have now died from complications of the virus. 28 people are in hospital. That's up five. Ten of them are now in ICU. That's up three. 4,466 people are considered recovered, leaving us with over 1,100 active cases. 2,723 people are in isolation at the moment. And Keith Baldry is following the COVID-19 developments closely for us. Keith, obviously this is one of the worst reporting periods we've seen. And it, mm -hmm. it's important for us to stress health officials are not pressing the panic button yet. But this clearly is not good. And Dr. Henry says that we're going to have to make some changes. Yeah, somewhat somber, Dr. Bonnie Henry, today, uh, Chris, I thought, uh, saying we're entering a new phase now. Now that the summer's ending, uh, we're moving into the fall and September, the cooler weather. And a reminder, the activities we participated in in the summer, which I think did see a big spike in number, can't simply happen in the fall because we got the flu season coming in as well. Now is not the time to gather in numbers indoors. A message you're going to be hearing from Dr. Bonnie Henry in the weeks and months ahead, and she started it off today. And I need everyone to pay attention. As the cooler weather arrives, we all have to be ready. We have seen the challenges that this virus, COVID-19, has, and now is our time to prepare. As we step into our offices, our workplaces, our schools, we need to take a step back from some of the social interactions that we have had this summer. Keith, the province is keeping track, and you've had a chance to look at the latest cases. Break down for us who is getting sick. Yeah, the, when it comes to the age groups, it's most interesting, Chris. I've been doing this for some time now in terms of taking a daily look. Now that we've got 294 cases, that's a pretty good sample size to draw some conclusions from. So take a, take a look at this graphic, this table. It'll show just who's getting the virus, and depending on your age. Uh, younger people below 20, 13% of the cases. But take a look at the 20 to 39 age group. Half of the cases are ascribed to young people there. 40 to 59, 21%. That's a bit of an uptick there. 60 to 79, 9%. Uh, and over 80, just 6%. So this continues to be a younger person's virus. We've seen this phenomena occur in the last six weeks or so. However, I do note that the numbers, sort of the 20 to uh, 39 crowd, have actually gone down a little bit. They were actually tracking at 66% just a few weeks ago. So that number seems to be uh, shrinking just a bit, but they still are the biggest uh, age cohort in getting COVID. 19. One final stat I'll leave you with. Uh, we, one reason we're seeing more case numbers on a daily basis recently, we were testing more. More than 13,000 cases were conducted between Friday and yesterday, and our positivity rate is also up. It's now more than about 2.2%. You put those two together, you're going to get more COVID numbers. Tomorrow, I'm not sure how much we're testing today. If it's four to 5,000, we're going to have a number tomorrow probably in the neighborhood of 80 to even more than 100. Once again, that seems to be our new level. Yeah, that is a wake-up call as we head into the fall, no doubt. Thanks very much, Keith. And BC's top doctor is responding to criticism tonight over her appearance in a back-to-school ad that sparked controversy as soon as it hit the air on Friday. Teachers claim the government promotion depicts two sets of rules. But as Richard Zussman reports, Dr. Henry says the ad was not meant to represent a COVID classroom. Going to school is so important. Getting kids ready to return. We're going to wash our hands a lot. 
Dr. Bonnie Henry playing the role of teacher, volunteers the role of students. But this new back-to-school ad is getting a failing grade. And if you feel sick, you'll have to stay home. It's unfortunately an unrealistic depiction of what classrooms will look like in September. The biggest criticism around what this class looks like with just six students. And it will be much different than the reality when kids return September 10th. It's always challenging to spend money on commercials when, you know, public schools are in such dire need of resources. The Ministry of Education adding to the frustration with this statement. In order to videotape the ad, the number of students in the room was limited for health and safety reasons, and the children were placed at safe distances from each other, leading Dr. Henry to have to respond to why volunteer students should be safely distanced when real students in many cases, won't have that luxury. We need to realize that that uh, was not a commercial about what a classroom was going to look like. There has been building frustration around the return to school, including more than 41,000 signatures on this online petition. In any indoor area, there can be only an upper limit of a certain amount of people. And right now, many of the classrooms still have too many people within the indoor classroom. You will have to wear masks sometimes. The head of the Principals and Vice Principals Association says the ad showcases some of the safety precautions expected in schools, but does not do a lot to help with anxiety. I think it's bringing concerns that are already there to the forefront. Minister Rob Fleming unavailable on Monday to comment on his ministry's response, many hoping when he is available, there will be more answers for those concerns. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Coffee giant Starbucks is the latest retailer to make masks mandatory at its Canadian stores. Starting September 14th, Starbucks Canada says customers will be required to wear face coverings in all company-owned stores to control the spread of COVID-19. Employees are already wearing them. Customers ordering drive through curbside pickup or delivery will not have to wear masks. Starbucks customers in the U.S. have had to wear face coverings at all company-owned stores since mid-July. A huge fire in Surrey has destroyed a hardware store and building center. The fire broke out this afternoon in the Ace Building Center on 88th Avenue in the Port Kells area. More than two dozen firefighters tackled the fire. But the 20,000-square-foot building was destroyed. Luckily, no one was injured. No word yet on the cause. Well, as the deadly pace of the overdose crisis continues to accelerate, loved ones, survivors and advocacy groups are stepping forward to recognize International Overdose Awareness Day. It's part of the effort to raise awareness and end the stigma surrounding the crisis that is now claiming the lives of more than five British Columbians every single day. Brad McLeod reports. Victoria, please make another arrest. He's one of 17 people facing drug charges after a sting at the downtown Centennial Square encampment. And now, tents are being dismantled and residents told to move. The city's director of Parks and Rec is closing the park because of the hazardous conditions. But this shuffling of homeless people, many of whom grapple with addiction, falls on Overdose Awareness Day. I think the important thing to remember is we're seeing an ever-climbing number of overdose fatalities and a lack of public health response. Events are being held throughout the province to raise awareness, like this one at the 100 block of East Hastings. The street shut down and a memorial wall created. Trying to combine outreach with, uh, you know, education and fun. 
Across town, a display of lost souls on the Burrard Street Bridge. We were able to depict the total number of British Columbians lost during the year 2020. 421 people have passed away from overdose in the last three months in British Columbia. According to a recent BC Coroner's report, over 900 people have overdosed on illicit drugs so far this year. That's around four deaths a day. And we want to just give people a really more visceral idea of the number of people and the fact that they are from all walks of life. Like Jennifer Howard's son, 24-year-old Robbie Cunningham, who overdosed two years ago. Robbie is one of the statistics of people that we are losing in the privacy of their home. Moms Stop the Harm is advocating for a widespread safe supply for addicts. More of a response from the College of Physicians uh, who have been granted uh, leeway by our province to prescribe safe supply. And in honour of those lost to overdose, the Johnson Street Bridge and the legislature will be lit purple. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. A section of the popular Coquitlam Crunch Trail has been closed after a woman had a terrifying close encounter with a black bear that was captured on camera. Conservation officers are trying to capture the bear, but as Aaron MacArthur reports, it's still unclear what will happen to it when they do. A little too close for comfort for both the jogger and the bear. The man who took this cell phone video of the altercation over the weekend regretting his decision to post it online. He had to pull it down after people accused him of essentially sentencing this bear to death. I'm asking the BC Conservation officers to do the right thing. Monday, conservation officers spent the morning checking the tramp and searching the area for signs of the bear. People who use the Coquitlam Crunch Trail regularly don't want to see it put down. I'm afraid if they trap it that it's actually going to be euthanized. They can't move it. Conservation sometimes is a little bit of an oxymoron. This bear's fate hasn't been determined yet, but according to the CO service, this behavior is unusual. We have a bear that exhibits this type of behavior, loss of fear of people, human habituation. They're not good candidates for relocation. The number one priority of the Conservation Officer Service is public safety. Bear advocates say the problem is not the bears, but people. We need an education that allows us to respond appropriately to these animals when they're approaching. There have been 4,300 bear calls in and around Metro Vancouver this year, 20 alone since April in the area of the Coquitlam Crunch. And in every case, the bears were responding to human-caused attractants. Bears in garbage bears in compost, you know, birds in, bears in bird seed. So far this year in Metro Vancouver, 34 bears have been euthanized. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A sea change is coming to the Vancouver Aquarium. One of BC's most popular tourist attractions is closing its doors again. Why it might never be the same when it reopens in just over a minute. We're really Civil unrest continues in the U.S. How President Trump and his rival Joe Biden are dealing with it. And an unwelcome resident relocated in Australia, where they found this giant crocodile later. 
Right now, though, just two months after it reopened to the public, the Vancouver Aquarium is shutting down again. Management says COVID-19 restrictions have made it impossible to cover costs. And as Linda Aylesworth reports, the aquarium says when it does reopen, it could be a markedly different attraction than it is now. As usual, the lineups begin early outside the Vancouver Aquarium. COVID-19 hasn't dampened people's enthusiasm about the place, but it has restricted the number of visitors. The number of visitors we've been able to receive during our COVID safe period are just not enough. Even when they sell out, they can't raise the $1 million a month required to keep the place running. So this morning I announced to the, to the staff that as of the 8th of September, we will pause public programming at Vancouver Aquarium. Pause public programming. That means the aquarium will not be open to the public for an undetermined period of time, and that half its workforce, 209 employees, will lose their jobs. That's just such a shame. I feel like this is such an important organization. Very unfortunate. Very unfortunate. It makes me sad. Nothing like this has ever happened in the aquarium's 64-year history. It did close for a few months earlier this year due to COVID, but those layoffs were temporary. But the level of uncertainty is so big right now that we cannot, with, in good faith, tell people that we'll be hiring you back in a couple of months. What they plan to do is rethink the aquarium model to find a way to operate safely in the midst of a pandemic, but also make enough money to support the effort. In the meantime... Because we plan to reopen the aquarium, the animals are not going anywhere. We will have 74 people working 24-7 to make sure that the animals get all the care they need. And there are others whose jobs will be spared. Uh, fortunately, some of our programs to protect the ocean will continue. The conservation work, the education work, the research is not funded by the gate. <coughs> The Marine Mammal Rescue Centre, for example, raised over $100,000 earlier this year on its own and will therefore stay opened. Oceanwise researchers will also be able to continue their vital work. Without the generous support of the public and the governments and the philanthropy, we would be closed already permanently. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, TransLink is serious enough about building the Burnaby Mountain gondola that it's looking for public feedback on the best route. The project, if approved and funded, would provide 25,000 daily trips between SkyTrain and Burnaby Mountain for SFU students, staff and faculty. Gondola cabins would depart every minute, carrying more people up the mountain per hour than buses and in about half the time. The first route is direct from Production Way University SkyTrain Station to SFU's Burnaby campus. Route 2 would see a gondola from Production Way University SkyTrain Station traveling along Gallardi Way to the Burnaby campus. And the third route from Lake City Way SkyTrain Station to SFU Burnaby would cross the Burnaby Mountain Golf Course. Once we do uh, get the feedback from, from the public back, we'll be able to take that to our policymakers uh, with the Mayor's Council, uh, with the City of Burnaby, and we'll be able to uh, kind of start the, the, the process on next steps and where we go from there. The public can weigh in until the end of September on the costs and environmental impacts of the three routes. A 2019 Burnaby Board of Trade report found a six-minute direct gondola route to SFU would cost $197 million to build. Well, if you prefer or have to drive, Global News learns you are going to get a rebate eventually. This is crass politics. People need help here and now. Still ahead, critics who say the NDP government is playing politics by delaying the payback. 
Also, a statue of Canada's first prime minister destroyed in protest. And the angry response from Alberta Premier Jason Kenney coming up. Traffic is steady this evening on Highway 1, both east and west, to and from the Cassiar Tunnel. It's moving well through the Burnaby Lake stretch and into Coquitlam. From help on the road to protecting your home and car, BCAA's local experts are here for your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Vancouver police are seeking witnesses and dash cam video after an elderly woman was seriously injured in a weekend collision. It happened just before 2 on Sunday or Saturday afternoon. Police say an 80-year-old woman was struck by a westbound vehicle on West 41st Avenue and Elm Street. She was in a marked crosswalk at the time, but investigators have limited information on just how it happened. Right now, speed is not believed to be a factor. Um, but we're only able to speak with the driver of the vehicle at this time and to do um, analysis of the scene. The female that was injured has very limited memory of the incident. The driver remained on scene and is cooperating with police. The elderly victim remains in hospital with serious injuries. The COVID pandemic and economic slowdown have had a nearly $600 million impact on the B.C. government's bottom line. Instead of the forecast $227 million surplus, Finance Minister Carol James says the province is running a $321 million deficit. The hit of more than a half billion dollars is being attributed to soaring government spending for COVID relief programs, along with a significant drop in tax revenue. While James says B.C. remains in a strong position to deal with a financial storm, further deficits are coming. We're going to have deficits, there's no question, just as every other jurisdiction is going to. We need to spend every dollar wisely. We need to be fiscally responsible, and we will do that with every dollar that we spend. But we will also ensure that those supports are in place for the people of British Columbia. That's really what people are looking for. They're looking for government to be there for them, to provide the supports. Um, We're going to have, as I said, some challenging times. The pandemic slowdown is being blamed for 235,000 job losses in B.C. since February and a predicted 6.8% economic decline. Well, it's a measure of just how controversial ICBC is that even rebates for drivers is creating a political firestorm. The NDP government is now looking for a company to coordinate the rebates, but the opposition liberals say the New Democrats are playing politics with the timing of the checks. Ted Chernecki reports. ICBC's so-called enhanced care coverage starts May 1st. Then, with no-fault insurance, third-party liability coverage is unnecessary. But private insurance companies claim ICBC is charging you like it is. And rather than charge you for the correct amount today, ICBC is charging you as though you will be purchasing 12 months of third-party liability coverage. The Insurance Bureau of Canada is calling it a tactic. Overcharge now so they can issue a rebate later. It's taking with one hand and giving with another. Uh, and it's very poor public policy. The opposition says it's another example of how ICBC is again hoarding money. Any savings this year should be returned to the people of British Columbia. They own ICBC, they should be getting the money. But to hold on to that money and then try to hire a company to mail out checks in and around a potential spring election 
or right before a fall election is appalling. A request for proposals posted by ICBC is looking for a company to mail enhanced care coverage rebates to customers starting in May and ending by August next year, just weeks before the provincial election. Because the average driver will see their policy reduced by 20%, many British Columbians will be owed a refund, and we believe ICBC should return that money to drivers as soon as possible. The statement goes on to say hiring a third party to handle millions of letters and refunds is the best way to do that. And then there's the other rebate the Liberals are waiting for. In the first six weeks of the pandemic, ICBC claims were down 46%, 7,200 fewer a week, for a saving of $158 million in just six weeks. But so too was annual revenue down $283 million. They have never provided a full rundown on how much money they saved. Manitoba and Ontario auto insurance companies have issued rebates related to COVID, but so far BC has not. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Just ahead, sealing the deal when there's finally a COVID vaccine. Recent vaccine tests show promising results. How Canada is ready when the research is done. Also tonight, with no big concerts during the COVID pandemic, a Whistler band has a surprise session with a very special guest. I'm Squire Barnes. Burnaby Hospital has been serving our community for nearly 70 years, but it's time for an upgrade. Support their transformation to a world-class facility to meet growing healthcare needs for generations to come. Proudly supported by Global BC. Two lanes north and one lane south over at the Lionsgate Bridge. Right now, you're seeing minimal delays westbound along Georgia Street towards the Stanley Park Causeway and a little slow off the North Shore with only one lane south on the Cloverleaf out of north and west Vancouver there. Kermat Collision and Auto Glass have been family-run and locally owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service, choose Kermac. For location information, visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. As protests against police violence continue across the United States, many of them have also become fertile ground for political clashes. Fringe groups on both sides of the spectrum are mobilizing, and Donald Trump and Joe Biden are trading barbs over the unrest. New video shows police and medics rushing in after a deadly weekend shooting in Portland. Across the country, protests literally turning into political battlegrounds with President Trump blaming what he calls radical left mayors and governors for the violence and promising law and order ahead of a Tuesday trip to Kenosha, Wisconsin, despite the mayor there urging him to stay away. An incumbent president who sows chaos rather than providing order. This afternoon, Democratic nominee Joe Biden condemning violence on both sides and blaming the president and his followers for the growing unrest. He may believe mouthing the words law and order makes him strong. But his failure to call on his own supporters to stop acting as an armed militia in this country shows how weak he is. For those most affected by the shootings and chaos, the issue is much bigger and runs much deeper than conservative or liberal politics. We're really just sick and tired of the violence. We're tired of it. Uh, We don't want to see more of it. We want to see change. That's what we want. And if we don't start recognizing what the real issues are, It's going to keep happening, and that's unacceptable. It's completely unacceptable. As unfortunately, the anger and violence seems to be growing. Jay Gray, NBC News. 
A statue of Sir John A. Macdonald that came crashing down during a protest in Montreal over the weekend will see another day. It caused a lot of controversy with everyone from politicians and protesters to professors weighing in. Global's Jamie Dahl has more on the reaction and the future of the statue. Of course, we uh, need to fight against racism, but that's not the way to do it. We have to respect uh, the history. Quebec's premier denouncing protesters who pulled down a statue of Sir John A. Macdonald in Montreal over the weekend. Francois Legault says it will be put back up. Right now, the decision is that it will be re-put in place. Alberta Premier Jason Kenney was ready to rescue the decapitated statue if Montreal wasn't going to, expressing his outrage online and over the air. It was violence against a, a public property, against a symbol of Canada. I will offer to take it off their hands uh, at no cost to them and to reassemble it and, and, and securely install it and protect it and defend it. Indigenous leaders quickly weighing in, assuring it would only meet the same fate if brought to Edmonton. I don't see it as a fruitful next step in reconciliation. Maybe I can get the premier in a room to talk about an actual monument that would um, makes sense going forward in a reconciliation way rather than one that's so controversial. Canada has at least 10 statues of the controversial first prime minister and countless schools named after him, including this one in Calgary. This teacher says it's time to set the record straight. His tool of genocide was schools. So to name a school after him, might it, it tells me that we are definitely not telling the story correctly because to memorialize someone who used schools as a weapon to kill the Indian and the child, in Sir Johnny McDonald's own words, well, that just means that we really don't care about the actions that he did in context. Sure, you want to put a statue up? Okay, tell the story. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says relying on vandalism to advance causes is not going to help anyone. It's a polarizing issue, but one this professor says will not go away until the country truly reckons with its past. We haven't really found a way to engage in an earnest and thoughtful conversation uh, in a way that uh, allows particularly Indigenous people's voices to be heard and expressed and to really affect um, some thoughtful and deliberate policy rather than merely reaction. And he says until that happens, this type of action will continue. Jamie Dahl, Global News, Calgary. In health matters tonight, Canada has inked two new deals with companies working on a possible vaccine for COVID-19. Global Sean O'Shea has more on what the deals could mean for Canadians. There's no vaccine for COVID-19 yet, but if and when there is, the federal government wants to make sure Canadians will be able to get it. Our government will continue to take the steps needed to make sure Canada gets a COVID-19 vaccine as soon as possible. In its latest move, the government has signed a deal with two large pharmaceutical companies, Novavax and Johnson & Johnson, commitments to provide up to 114 million doses of an approved antiviral drug. Recent vaccine tests show promising results. For infectious disease expert Dr. Isaac Bogosh, I think it's an extremely smart approach. We know that there's many vaccines under development. It's not entirely clear which vaccines will ultimately be successful and which won't. It's really not the right move to put all your eggs in one basket. But critics say Ottawa isn't doing enough, in part because of the drugs it's betting on. It is betting on the slow horse. I want to see our government betting on the quick horses. 
Other vaccines are in phase three clinical trials, the final phase. The Novavax and Johnson & Johnson drugs are only in phases one and two. Dr. Adderin says we're way behind, and that could mean lining up behind other countries. But Canadians are going to wait months longer than Americans and Europeans to get their shots. And that's because our government has left it very late in the day. Still, there's no guarantee which of any drugs will be successful. And convincing Canadians to get any approved vaccine will be another challenge. It's, it is going to be an issue to, to, to contend with. And we know the more people that are immune to this virus, the better to somehow develop herd immunity. Uh, and obviously the vaccines will be helpful at an individual level. But of course, the more people that get it, it will be helpful at a population level. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Toronto. Coming up, music fans asking, who is that masked man? Without any arena rock, Kiss bassist Gene Simmons gets a gig at a slightly smaller venue. And in sports, on the verge of elimination, how the Canucks are handling the nearly monumental challenge ahead. Amazing video of an unexpected visitor wandering into a Whistler hotel. It happened early in the morning of July 13th, but we've got the video for you now. Surveillance cameras at the Four Seasons Whistler capture these images of a black bear walking into the hotel through the front doors. Very civilized. The animal wandered around the lobby briefly, sniffing before turning around and checking out. The hotel says its staff have been trained for just such a wildlife encounter. And speaking of checking out, check out this monster. The massive crocodile was found in an area frequented by tourists. We'll tell you where right after Yvonne's forecast. Oh my goodness. That's horrifying and it had a sheet covering. (laughs) Keep it moist and healthy. Okay. All right. Uh, Meteorologist Yvonne Shell is here with a look at that forecast. Now, despite appearances, (laughs) there is great summer weather still on the way. Yeah, summer is on the way. We've been advertising it. We usually don't go that many days in advance, but we are going to look ahead towards your Labor Day long weekend in just a moment. We had a few brief breaks today. We're into some cloud cover. We'll continue to see more cloud cover late this evening and into the early morning hours for tomorrow. Temperatures today bumping up to 19 as the high areas near Soyuz up to 26 degrees it'll be even warmer as we get in towards tomorrow now overnight tonight there's a cloud cover it'll remain dry we'll dip down to 13 degrees cloud for the morning a break towards the afternoon a range in temperatures tomorrow 21 by the water areas away from the water up to 24 degrees and with the humid x it'll feel closer to 27 one area across the province though still tracking some wet weather and that's along the north coast rain and heavy at times another wave moving in overnight tonight can Continuing for tomorrow, and that same system will move across the central interior, bringing rainfall by the afternoon. Anything towards the south of it, though, looks to remain dry. We've got plenty of sunshine. It's all courtesy of this ridge of high pressure that's building in. Midweek onwards, Wednesday, it strengthens, and as we approach the long weekend, we may have some record-breaking heat with many spots in the interior bumping up to 30 degrees. So a heads up, it is going to warm up towards the end of the week and leading in towards our Labor Day. The northern half of the province seeing the heaviest rainfall, especially tomorrow morning, windy for areas that are by the water. 
Much of the central interior today, showers by the afternoon with highs up to 16 degrees. The southern half warming up up to 30 degrees tomorrow for the Thompson Okanagan. Whistler will see some breaks for the afternoon. And along the south coast, we'll have that morning cloud cover, very similar to what we're seeing this morning. And then it'll warm up, clearing out towards the afternoon. It's the long-range forecast as we get in towards Friday, Saturday, areas away from the water, closer to 28 and 29 degrees. All right, tonight's central windows, weather window. This is a great shot of a sunset captured by Rob. Guys? Gorgeous. Thanks, Yvonne. It's been a good summer for sunset photos. All right, a monstrous crocodile has been captured near a popular tourist destination in Australia. This 14 and a half foot saltwater crocodile was wrangled from the Flora River in Australia's Northern Territory, weighing around 350 kilos, that's 770 pounds. The male croc was tracked and trapped alive after being spotted in a remote nature park. Crocodile numbers have been increasing across Australia's tropical north since federal law made them a protected species in the early 1970s. This guy will be taken to a crocodile farm to become part of a breeding program. Very important to make sure that the ropes keep his Josh. stays there. And, and breed them so there's more of them. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yay. That's three out of four uh, NewsHour hosts in one bite is what I'm thinking. You guys, but not me. <laughs> you we're, guys the, we're the hors d'oeuvres. You yeah, three right. are the meal. I'm the toothpick after. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, big job ahead for the Canucks Squire. Well, it's uh, difficult. They uh, are trying, though, not to psych themselves up for Game 5, or psych themselves out, I should say, for Game 5 tomorrow. Looking at it like this is Game 7 tomorrow, we just got to win one game. They're going to have to figure out how to tarnish the Golden Knights three straight times. Also tonight, a dream concert for a Whistler band and their fans when a rock god shows up to jam. Yeah. I feel like we've seen this movie before. Yes, and I said we just need a better <laughs> ending this time. Well, I mean, this year, uh, they did, well, they were 2-2 with St. Louis. They were up 2-0, and then, of course, they beat St. Louis, but... Um, have we seen this movie before? Yeah. Well, in Probably next have. history, yes. Like playoff disappointment, I know what you're saying about that. Uh, they did come back in game five against St. Louis. Remember that? They were down 3-1 in the second period. They came back. They won that game. It turned the series around. They won in six. Now they're down 3-1 to Vegas. Game five is tomorrow. They played well last night. But Vegas had a better third period. And that's the thing about the Golden Knights. They always seem to have at least... One really good period per game where they are extra dangerous. So the Canucks are now going to have to refuse to lose because they are all out of do-overs. Last series we lost two against St. Louis. Everyone thought we were down and out and going to be done. We were ready to go. That is true, except St. Louis is no Vegas. The Golden Knights are better than the Blues, and they think this could be their year. So for the Canucks to rally, they're going to need to force the issue on the forecheck. You know, for us, if we get on them quick and and delay their breakouts and and spend more time in their end, it's just you know it's it, it's it's a lot better for us. We know we're going to get their best game, and and you know we're going to have to earn it. We're, you know this team didn't get to this point and hasn't played us as hard as they have. Uh, 
just to go away quietly. Because no first-round series went to seven games, the Canucks, for example, took St. Louis out in six, there is a feeling that teams are so bubble-fatigued that coming back and forcing Game 7s won't happen. But Vegas isn't about to believe that theory. Do I get the sense that teams are easier to eliminate because we're in a bubble and they want to go home? I, I, don't, I, I, I would say absolutely not. I, I, think, I think anybody that's left here uh, is committed to, to being here right to the end and, and that's all they're thinking about. So, absolutely not. And we'll, we'll be we'll, we'll prepare tomorrow. And uh, I've said it a lot to you guys, but we'll be ready to go. I can guarantee you that. Now, Jacob Markstrom had to play back-to-back games this weekend, and he did look mentally tired, especially in the third period. He says he wasn't. But if you take all the games he has played against St. Louis and Vegas, not the Minnesota series, St. Louis and Vegas, and combine them, Markstrom has faced an average of 37 shots a night. That is way too many. He needed more help from his friends last night who didn't block as many shots as you'd like. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean tons, but it is interesting that the only game they won, game number two, they had 40 blocked shots. In all the other three games, they've had about half of that or less. All right, can the Bruins hold on against Andre Vasilevsky and the Lightning? Well, the Lightning have Andre Palat, and he's a big tipper. There's an example right there. one nothing for Tampa Bay. Bruins down 3-1 in this series, but Krejci, David Pasternak, back of the net. 1-1 after two to the third period. Another tip, Headman, this time it's Anthony Sorelli knocking it in. But the Bruins scored late, so they're going to overtime, tied 2-2. Blue Jays wearing the baby blues. I don't mind that. All right. Hanser Alberto. Oh, that's Little League. Overthrows the first baseman. Two-run score for the Blue Jays. They would go to the 11th inning. In the 11th, Jose Iglesias drives in one run here. They'd get another one to go up 4-2, Baltimore would. Now it's 4-3, and there are two out. And the Jays are going to send Gurriel from first. Can he make it and tie the game? Iglesias, who you just saw hit that run in, out with the relay throw at the plate. Jays lose. U.S. Open. Dennis Shapovalov, no fans, taking on... Sebastian Cordes, Shapovalov to 12th seed. That is a nice one-handed backhand. Won the first set 6-4. Needed some treatment in the third set, but the set's tied 1-1, but then he was okay. It's a nice power shot. That's not going back over the net. Match point for Dennis, 6-4, 4-6, 6-3, 6-2. A lot of Canadians tomorrow playing, including Vancouver's Vashik Pospisil. With a bunch of training camp injuries to their receiver core, the uh, Seattle Seahawks reunited with ex-receiver Paul Richardson, signing him as a free agent after he spent two years in Washington. Before that, he spent four years as a Seahawk. Uh, he's, he's been a really uh, you know, terrific player for us when we had him. Uh, he got a great contract to take off and go uh, in free agency, and we got a chance to get him back. So um, the competition at the spot is really heightened. And uh, he's a terrific downfield guy and playmaker downfield, and we've always loved that about him. So we're going to just put him in the mix and, and see how it goes. 
Now, Richardson's a decent receiver. His problem over the years is he's had trouble staying healthy as well. Mm. All right. There you go. Thank you, Squire. Let's check in with Jay Durant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thank you, Sophie. We'll have more tonight on a controversial Toronto preacher who's making a tour of Metro Vancouver today. There are angry words exchanged at the commercial SkyTrain station this afternoon. David Lynn and his group have moved on to Second Beach where another counter-protest is planned. Plus, RCMP have identified a suspect in a stabbing in Coquitlam this afternoon. We'll let you know what police are saying about the crime. Those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11. All right. Thanks, Jay. If you like to rock and roll all day and party every night, no, that's not the lyric. <laughs> we'll figure it out in a minute, but uh, we've got a story for you next. I'm ashamed. It's rocking and rolling all night <laughs> and partying every day. I knew that. I grew up to that tune. But anyway, a group of local musicians in Whistler had a treat when their jam was joined by the god of thunder and rock and roll. Last Saturday, the musicians were playing at the Album Cafe when they spotted Gene Simmons in the audience. Might be Alpine Cafe. They called the KISS frontman to join them where he borrowed a bass guitar and jammed with the band while keeping a safe distance. Simmons returned to the cafe this weekend for a repeat performance. Gene Simmons, I mean, he's, he's experienced, right? So he doesn't know how this is going to go. So he's sitting it out. So I walk up as Raquel is getting ready. And I said, so what's up? Are you going to get up and play? He's like, well, I'm going to see how this goes. I said, very cool, okay. So um, we had Raquel play. And then after Raquel, we had Gene Simmons get up and do a jam with us, uh, of which uh, as many musicians as possible could lead. Monty Biggins was leading that one. And uh, it was just an incredible night. Uh, it was a love fest, pretty much. <laughs> Simmons and his Canadian-born wife Shannon Tweed own a home in Whistler and have reportedly been living there during the pandemic. Uh, it is the Alpine Cafe, by the way. The Alpine Cafe, for sure. That was very, very cool. What a thrill. Got a new uh, gig now for a while. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Last word before we go? Uh, cloud cover tomorrow morning, sunshine, and then hot as we get into next week. All right, thank you. That's all the time we have. Have a good night, everyone. Thanks for watching. <laughs>